So hello again, it's Monday of Holy Week. We ended Sunday's class with Jesus entering the city as the Messiah. He headed straight to the temple, and that evening and every evening, Jesus and the disciples returned to Bethany in the house of Lazarus. You remember Lazarus, their friend who Jesus raised from the dead. They would stay each night through the week with Lazarus, Lazarus and his sisters. Each day that week, they would go into the city and into the temple. On Monday morning, as they start on their journey back into Jerusalem, you can imagine that Jesus has on his mind the scene from the day before. Now, I, I want to create this scene for you. We didn't talk a lot about that yesterday um, as we discussed Palm Sunday. Um, but when Jesus got to the temple, he would have seen something. Maybe the, the only picture I can imagine in my mind that fits it is maybe a bazaar or an outdoor market that you might find in like India. You may have seen uh, in movies, or uh, but, but, but there would be an outdoor uh, vendors selling goods, uh, noise, um, the clatter of uh, the feet of horses on cobblestone streets. Um, and there in the temple, there would have been money changing tables. And, and people, you would hear the coins dropping into buckets and being weighed and, and, and people shouting and calling out to each other and, and, and um, all of this noise. Then you would have heard all the animals, uh, the sounds of the animals. So, so the noise um, and, and the activity going on all around the temple would have been just um, this type of, uh, of, I don't know, craziness, right? And so Jesus is, had experienced that on Sunday. And, you know, Jesus knows what's going to happen at the end of this week. And so as he entered Jerusalem on the back of that donkey on Sunday, and he goes to the temple, he has on his heart all that is coming. And, and when he sees what is going on in the temple, I think he was probably very upset. And so he leaves the temple, goes back to spend the night, and now he is on his way back into town on Monday morning with his disciples, and I think that he very much um, is thinking about what he saw the day before. And we have to also remember that Jesus sees not like we do with just our eyes, but he sees with his heart as well. And so because he knows the heart, not just of the people, the Jewish people, but the hearts of those who serve the temple, I believe that his heart what he saw in their hearts made him weep. And I want to read a scripture out of Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, um, if you will turn, the first scripture we're going to look at is Luke chapter 19. Um, and this chapter is the chapter of Palm Sunday when Jesus enters Jerusalem. But there, as with each of the gospel tellings of the different stories, each one has um, um, added or or maybe leaves off, um, and all of that is based around who the author of the book was. And Luke um, shares some, some information in this chapter that we don't find in Matthew and Mark, and I want us to really look at that today. Luke chapter 19, and we're going to focus at the very end of the, toward the end of the chapter, um, starting with verse 39. And so um, prior to verse 39, if you read back, you'll see the whole scene with the donkey and the disciples have gone to pick up the donkey. And now Jesus has, is beginning to walk down the streets and the disciples themselves are joining in to, um, with all the festivities, shouting the Hosanna and blessed is the king. And so, so look at verse 39. It says, 
Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And so in this, in this moment, we see Jesus weep. And you know, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. We don't see a lot of times when Jesus cries in the Bible, but this is one of them. And for me, it's very important to stop and think about what is making him so heartbroken that he weeps. He's weeping over the fact that he knows he's going into Jerusalem. And the people, he knows what's going to happen. He knows that the people are going to turn on him. But even more than that, he knows that the people who are going to call for his execution are the very people who are leading the temple of the Lord who are supposedly serving the Lord in the temple. So I want us in our lesson tonight to look at two specific instances that happen in Scripture on this day. One is the lesson of the fig tree, and the other is the scene that occurs when Jesus reaches the temple. Now the scene with the fig tree happens along the way as they're entering town that day, Jesus and the disciples, and along the way Jesus spots a fig tree. There are two accounts of this story. One is in Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, and then the other one is found in Mark chapter 11. We're going to look at Mark chapter 11, and I'm going to read the verses to you there. Mark gives the account as if Jesus passed the tree on Monday, curses it when the tree bears no fruit, and then the next day, tomorrow, Tuesday, the disciples happen to notice that the tree has withered, and they question why. In Matthew's account, it's documented as happening immediately, like it happened Tuesday morning when they passed by. Either way, we know this. The tree withered, and in both Gospels, Jesus' message was the same. And so I want to read this to you, all right? So let's read it out of the book of Mark, chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at um, verses 12. We start with verse 12. The next day, it says in Scripture, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus enters the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. I want us to stop right there and think about what Jesus says in this few verses. First, it's very uncharacteristic of Jesus that he's angry at a tree bearing no fruit, and he's forceful in his he's forceful in his episode. He's forceful in his answer to the disciples. This is important because the next action we will see Jesus take is going to be the clearing of the temple, which we began to read. 
it's another show of temper on his part. So temper, anger, and frustration, maybe a little of all of these going on with Jesus, the teacher, who has up until this point been calm, loving. So this behavior is totally out of character, and the disciples are going to take notice of this. What did the fig tree, which had leaves but bore no fruit, remind Jesus of? Could it have been that it reminded him of what he had seen in the temple the day before? In Max Lucado's book, And the Angels Were Silent, he wrote this book about the final week of Jesus. If you've never read it, it's a great read. Max Lucado says in his book, Here's a tree with the appearance of nutrition, but offers nothing. All promise and no performance. Right? And that is exactly what's going on in the scene that Jesus remembers from the temple the day before. This, this is so interesting to me. It, it even says in the Bible that it's not time for the fig tree to bear fruit. Fig season isn't until May or June. And this is early spring. And so the trees would begin to produce buds and leaves. But Jesus knew when he approached the tree that there wouldn't be any fruit. The tree, um, with its lifeless limbs, is a lesson in faith. And so it almost seems like unfair to the fig tree that Jesus says, curse you, you bear no fruit ever again. And when he when it shouldn't have been time for it to bear fruit anyway. But it's really more a lesson for us. And, and that's what we want to dig deeper into today to figure out what is Jesus saying with this example of this fig tree. In Old Testament, Israel is often referred to as a fig tree. I want you to look all the way back in the Old Testament toward the end of the Old Testament, the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet. And if we look at the book of Hosea chapter 9, is where we're going to be. Hosea is actually a prophet, and he is speaking the words of God to the people of Israel. And in this chapter, he is crying out over their sins. And I want us to read verse 10 of chapter 9 of Hosea. The scripture says this, When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. But when they came to Baal-peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. And so if we read on, we hear him talk about um, the behavior of the Israelites. And then you get to 16, verse 16, the same chapter in Hosea. And he says, Ephraim is blighted. Their root is withered and they yield no fruit. Even if they bear children, I will slay their cherished offspring. So, Israel is referred to as a fig tree in, 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 this, in these verses. Um, uh, some commentaries suggest that the scene in the Gospels that we read about the fig tree is symbolic of Israel. At the time that Jesus is entering uh, Jerusalem, that Israel with its temple leaders who care more for profit than for true and honest worship of God, well, they bear no fruit. And soon they would face the judgment of think it's a lesson for all of us, especially our church today. You know, Jesus is disgusted by the temple leaders. Um, they've become lukewarm, vain, believers full of pomp, but no purpose. They have no fruit. And if you turn in your Bibles to uh, Revelation, all the way to the back of your Bible, to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation, Jesus speaks very clearly about what he thinks of lukewarm Christians. Um, 
it's one of the, to me, one of the most disturbing um, set of verses in the Bible because it, 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 if nothing, it should convict all of us. But chapter 3 of Revelation, when he writes to the church in Laodicea, and understand this, all of these letters to the churches in Revelation are letters that are meant to be written to us as the church, as the body of Christ. And so it says there in chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, I'm going to read these to you. Again, I'm in Revelation chapter 3, and verse 14 says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, this is, this is a reference that Jesus makes when he says these words. He's saying God does not like lukewarm warm believers. He even says that he would spit them out of his mouth. And in Lucado's book, he suggests that this is literally the words in the translation, the original Hebrew meaning literally to vomit. And why, I mean, I know this is kind of gross, but why do we vomit? Well, we vomit to get rid of something that doesn't agree with our body. For God, lukewarm faith is not agreeable to the body of Christ. His whole message to us as Christians is to proclaim the faith and to actively live it out. And so Jesus, in this moment, this whole scene with the fig tree, Jesus is angered by this religion that is happening at the temple because it's all for show. And it's not accomplishing anything. It's fruitless faith. Jesus wants us to do something. It's our calling to do something. Each of us has spiritual gifts. And I want to just say tonight, I'm kind of stepping out of this to say to this to you, discover your gifts. If you honestly recognize that you have gifts and you aren't using them, then you are practicing fruitless faith. God didn't just bless us with spiritual gifts, but he blessed us with them so that we could then use them for his glory. All right. There are several examples within the Gospels, where the Pharisees get mad because Jesus does things like he heals on the Sabbath. He breaks the rules that have been established. But, you know, Jesus always broke the rules to help people and to demonstrate love. In every instance in the Gospels where he breaks the law, if you will, the, the religious law, in every instance he shows the power of love over the law. Why do you think he does this? Jesus was trying to show that the rules, the religion, shouldn't be the focus. The focus should be the true faith in God the Father and God the Son. Our faith is not about our practicing religion. Our faith is about, and always should be, centered on God. And, you know, there's no better time to talk about that than now because I mean, we can't practice our religion. I mean, look at me. I'm, 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 I'm teaching a class via a podcast because I can't see you face-to-face because we can't meet in our churches. I'm, I'm, I've just, maybe there's a reason why this is coming up in this class because God's working on my heart the same way he may be working on yours. But I'm thinking, man, I just don't even, I, how are we going to have Easter Sunday without Easter Sunday service? But it's, it's, it's required all of us to take a step back and say, hey, 
It's not about the service itself. It's about our faith in God and what that service stands for. And, and, and what it stands for is an empty tomb. So, this is what Jesus is trying to make a point with the disciples and say. He's trying to show them that the rules aren't the focus. So he says this, and I, I, I love this in Mark chapter 11. So go back to Mark, okay? We were in Mark chapter 11. I'm going to see if I can get back to it. I tried to mark today, so I wouldn't be flipping so much. All right, Mark chapter 11. And we were there, and, and Jesus is, 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 is talking to them, and he shows the picture, and he says this in verse 22. Have faith in God, Jesus says. Okay? Because it, okay, now remember, Mark and Matthew, Matthew says the fig tree thing happened all, all one time. Mark's gospel says they walked on Monday. Jesus crushes the tree. The disciples are kind of curious as to what happens. He goes. He does his thing at the temple, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And then Tuesday, they're on their way back, and they see the fig tree has withered. And so um, in verse 20 of Mark chapter 11, it says, In the morning they went along, and they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And Jesus says this, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you. So Jesus said, have faith in God. You know, have you, I know most of you probably have heard this phrase, faith can move mountains. Well, Jesus, I think it might have come right here from Scripture, right, from Jesus. Faith can move mountains. Jesus wants the disciples to recognize that if they truly believe with all their heart and that their belief is honest and true and they call on Jesus' name to accomplish the impossible, it can happen. And listen. We know what comes next, right? We know the challenge and, uh, that the disciples will face in the coming weeks, months, and years. And so they have to get this. This is a lesson they have to understand. They are going to face challenges, and they are going to speak in Jesus' name. And miraculous things are going to happen. So this is going to be the core of their faith. It's the core of our faith. A belief and a trust in God and his power in and over our lives. Jesus knew the disciples, to do what they were going to be faced with, would have to believe this. They would have to have mountain-moving faith. And in this fig tree lesson, Jesus shows us what it looks like to have fruitless faith with the withered tree. And he shows us what we can do when we have big faith, mountain-moving faith. We see him tell us to pray ask for what we want, and believe in it with all our heart, and it will be so. All right? So the lesson first is the fig tree. Now, let's jump to our second lesson of the day that occurs on Monday, and that is where Jesus clears the temple. John documents this in his gospel in chapter 2, verses 12 through 22, 23. Sorry. It could be the same incident that is placed in the other gospels, so a lot of people think that maybe John that, that there, there could be two uh, clearing of the temples 
Um, it's just unclear, but I, I think personally, this is Katie Norton, personally, I believe that there was one clearing of the temple, and John just put it a little early in his gospel to make a point, okay? And, and he took it out of um, the order of events maybe, that occurred in Jesus' life. He's not telling the story. John, more than any other gospel, does not tell the story chronologically, okay? The other gospels stick somewhat to a chronological order of things. John does not. John's whole intention with his gospel is to, teach, to, to prove to you that Jesus is the Son of God, is the Holy One. And so he reorders things sometimes, okay? So, in John, Jesus talked strongly about destroying the temple and raising it again in three days. He was predicting his death and his resurrection. He did not talk about those things early in his ministry. In fact, several times in the gospel scripture, he tells the disciples that his time has not yet come. So to think that he's talking about the destruction of the temple early in his ministry does not seem to really fit with the other actions and conversations of Jesus. And that's why we believe that there is only one... Um, uh, temple clearing, and John has just reordered it, okay? So I do want us to read this. I want us to read John's version, and we're going to look at that. So if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to turn to the book of John, chapter 2. Okay, the book of John, chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse 12. Says in scripture, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? This is Jesus talking. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world, you know this verse that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe does stand condemned already because they did not believe in the name of the God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. All right, so this is the story of what I was talking about. This is where there in John... Um, Jesus, um, Jesus talks about the why of his coming, right? And it's way early in the book of John. It's in, it's in chapter 2, which is just odd for it to be that far into the um, chapter, okay? But I want us to go... Um, I want us to go back into, I, I'm, I apologize, I think I've read chapter 3 and I meant to read chapter 2 because I got on the whole, Jesus is the Son of God and predicting his end. But back up, so that's chapter 3 of John. If we look at chapter 2, before he even does any of this, he clears the temple courts. That, that, that's odd and it doesn't fit in the order of things. But, like we said, John is, is, is mixing up the order because 
he's trying to show us and prove to us that through his gospel that Jesus is who he says he is. All right, so let's look at chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 13 of chapter 2 of John. So we're backing up one chapter, and it says, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. Okay? He made a whip, y'all. He made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal from, for your house will consume me. And the Jews then responded to him with, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Okay? And so Jesus, all right, let's look at this scene. Okay? It's Passover. The law of Moses required that any animal offered in sacrifice must be unblemished and that every Jewish male over the age of 19 had to pay a temple tax. The tax collectors and the inspectors of the animals were present at the temple. They refused to accept secular coins because those coins had the image of the Roman emperor on them. So it was thought that to put those coins in the temple treasury was an offense to the church. So in order to accommodate, money changers were set up in the outer courts of the temple. They charged high prices for their services. Roman coins must be converted to shekels, which was the standard currency in Jerusalem. And often the temple high priest would loan money to the peasants who needed help paying their taxes, but they would charge interest rates that were ridiculously high. Now remember the fig tree story. Here are these money changers and these inspectors telling the Jewish people that their coins won't work and their animals aren't pure enough and they forcing them to pay for exchanges and high-priced doves all in the name of religion. Jesus is absolutely disgusted because he knows this isn't about the Almighty Father. It's about the Almighty Dollar. He understands and sees the men's hearts. So when Jesus clears the temple, everyone, including the priests and the money changers, are shocked. Jesus makes an important statement in John, in the, in the Gospel of John, when he asks, what miracles can you show us that give you the authority to do this? And Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Okay. The priests respond. I want you to look at verse 20. If you're still in the book of John with me, chapter 2, look at verse 20. It says, they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? When they say raise it, they mean destroy it, right? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Okay? So what Jesus is talking about is, my body is the temple. I am the temple, and I will be raised. Right? All right. The priests and the money changers, they get caught up in the time it took to erect the building, but Jesus is not talking about the actual building. He's talking symbolically of his death and the resurrection and the fact that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, 
Remember, he calls the temple his father's house. All right, now, I want us to read this same scene, this temple clearing scene, out of, the, out of Matthew. Let me flip over, I believe. I'm, I want to make sure I made this note, and I want us to read this. Okay, so in Matthew, if we get to the uh, book of Matthew, um, Jesus is at the temple, uh, chapter 21 of Matthew. And it says in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, Jesus said to them, my house will be called the house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Okay. Jesus uses the words, my house will be called a house of prayer. And this comes from Isaiah 56, verse 7. And this is a chapter in the Bible where Isaiah is prophesying about the salvation of those not of Jewish faith. It's a chapter that foretells God's plan of salvation for all of mankind. And in Isaiah 56, he mentions specifically eunuchs and foreigners. But the message is one that all who believe in God and have a close relationship with him will be saved. So in verse 7, it says, For my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. All right, so, so Jesus is quoting Isaiah when he, when he says that. During Passover, the priests and the money changers, the inspectors and the tax collectors, have all made the temple a worldly place where money is more important than God. Let's think about that for a minute. Passover? Worldly? Passover was the celebration of God's rescuing the people of Israel from slavery by the Egyptians. It was the moment in their history and their faith where God did the most miraculous thing through Moses. It should be the most honored time. And it has become here with Jesus and the disciples standing there in the temple. It has become so many generations later a money-making event rather than a holy ceremony as it should be. So Jesus then says to them, you are making it a den of robbers. Now, this is actually a quote from Jeremiah. I love how we can be in the Gospels. And Jesus, of course, Jesus knows the scripture. I mean, it's Jesus. So all through the Gospels, as Jesus is teaching the disciples, he quotes the Old Testament scripture. And he quotes Jeremiah 7, 11. And in those verses in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah stood at the gate to the Lord's house during a time where false religion was, was being taught and told the people, told the people of Israel, you worship false gods and then think to enter into God's temple, his house, and you think you will be protected, right? And so, so he was, he was, um, so Jesus quotes the scripture from Jeremiah, and it's much the same as what's going on during Holy Week. Are the Pharisees not standing at the temple claiming sanctity? And they're like a bunch of thieves in fancy robes. In, in Max Lucado's book, And the Angels Were Silent, he says, Pilgrims journeyed for days to see God, to witness the holy, to worship his majesty. But before they were taken into the presence of God, they were taken to the cleaners. Is that not? I mean, we, we, some of you might have chuckled days over here recording. He kind of chuckled with that. But Max Lucado, if you've not read him, he, he kind of has a funny way with things. But, but the truth is, he's right. Well, some the, theologians called this, this moment in Scripture a temper tantrum by Jesus. 
I think it was really deliberate. And Lucado says in his account that Jesus went to sleep with this image of a midway and its barkers in his mind, knowing his time on earth is drawing to a close. He woke, determined to make a point. You cash in on my people and you have me to answer to. And he got there on Monday to the temple, and he was mad. He was angered by what was going on. And not just by the actions of the people, but what was in their hearts. What was motivating them. Not the Israel, not the Jewish people themselves, but the leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the leaders of the temple, what, the religious leaders of the day, what was motivating You know, the Bible teaches that there'll be false prophets or false teachers. Hebrews calls calls um, them false teachers. The Bible scripture tells us there will be those who are false in our churches. Paul warns of this. He warns of this in chapter 16 of Romans, and I want us to kind of look at this. In the letter to the Romans, in, in chapter 16, Paul talks a little bit about this. And I'm going to get over there to that. Um, we're going to look at Romans. If you've got your Bible, you want to turn Romans chapter 16, but I am going to read it. Verses 17 and 18, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Their own appetites. So, so, so this immediately brings to my mind the Pharisees and those belonging to the temple courts. They're not about God's will. They're about their own will. The image of Jesus clearing the temple is one that stays with me. And as I think about Holy Week and I think about our church today, it's an image that I hold close in the hopes that it will keep me humble and focused on what is most important, not the building we worship in, not the money we have in our bank accounts at the end of each year. Not the amount given by each of us on Sunday as the plate is passed. What's most important is how we respond to those in need living two doors down from us. It's the words of kindness that we offer to those going through illness or loss. It's the promise of forgiveness we give that family member who we believe has wronged us. It's how we respond in moments like we're living in today. In moments of crisis. God wants us to be true to our faith, not just to claim it, but to live it. And Jesus was our example. We are called to look different than the world. The priests in the temple looked too much like Rome for Jesus' liking. So today we've talked about two different instances that occurred on that Monday of Holy Week. The fig tree and the lesson that we learned from that as well as the clearing of the temple. And tomorrow, Tuesday, when we join each other again, we're going to look at kind of a battle of wills between Jesus and the leaders of the temple. I hope you'll join me again. Until tomorrow. Blessings.